Isaiah 58, 11 and 12. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and rise up the age-old foundations. You will be called the repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Good. Thanks so much for that. Isaiah 58, you may want to find that verse and underline it in your, uh, in your Bibles because it's going to have a lot to do with where we are. Last week during Presence Sunday, I felt, I said that I'd felt very strong that this summer, this season that's in front of us was to be a season that we were to aggressively go after miracles. That as a church family, we declare that we believe. As a church family, we would battle for a summer of miraculous breakthrough in our lives, in our homes, in our friendship connections, and in our church. A, a couple of things that I want to do to underline the importance of this summer. Uh, first of all, you've all returned this morning. Um, you, if, if such a de- declaration, such a desire was off-putting, then, then most likely you wouldn't have shown up again today. And I think that everyone in this room is both a person who has a need personally for breakthrough in their lives, and we're connected, we're associated with people who need breakthroughs in, in their lives. And, and you being here again this morning just encourages and inspires me for the summer that is ahead, so thank you for coming. Uh, the second thing that I want to point out is that if we go after a summer of miracles... If we say that this is going to be a summer of miracles, it's not a passive, relaxed activity. It's not just, well, here I am sitting in church, and this is our summer of miracles, and I'm just waiting for mine to be handed out. It's not passive. It's an aggressive, it's a a determined desire that drives us to find the promises of God fulfilled in our time and in our situation, no matter what it takes or, or what or who attempts to step between us and our breakthrough in an attempt to discourage, to confuse, to exhaust, to divide and sidetrack us from our quest. Nothing that is worthwhile comes easily or comes inexpensively. Breakthrough is no different. It costs. I I have also been on the other side of miracles. I want you to know right off the bat, I I believe in miracles. I've I've experienced, I've been the recipient of miracles. I've I've been participant in miracles. I've I've been witness to miracles. So, So I know that they're real. I know that they're available. I know that it's part of our inheritance and part of what we need to go after. But I've also been on the other side of the story where I've wanted or longed for a miracle but have not seen it materialize, or at least not in the way that I thought it would or should have materialized. And and I've been in seasons where it seemed like God was silent. Seasons where, where it seemed like God was uninterested or disengaged with me and with my need. I've been in times that threatened to rearrange my, my theology, rearrange the way that I believe my faith. And I recognize that 
here this morning are disappointed people who would love to see, love to receive, love to be a part of a miraculous breakthrough. However, because of their experience, because of their history, they have determined that it is safer, it is easier to be passive, to be resigned to the maxim that says, blessed are they who do not expect, for they shall not be disappointed. So I want to build my case for miracles this morning. I want you to know why I believe in miracles and why I expect this to be a breakthrough season for us as a church, for us as a people. I want to start with the word compassion. Compassion. We hear it a lot. We, we use it some. And, and, and the dictionary defines the word this way, the concern that one has for the sufferings of others. The concern that you have for the sufferings of people that you know, people that are part of your world, part of your life. It's a word that's used to describe the reaction of Jesus to a very sad situation that he came across as he was traveling. In, in uh, Luke chapter 7, it records that Jesus and his entourage were going town to town, village to village, city to city, and, and he entered this small, this small village called Nain. And as he was coming to the gate, the entrance point to the city, there was a funeral procession that was leaving the city. Jesus knew immediately what the story was. He saw this little woman who was hunched over in grief and tears, and, and it was a widow, and she was on the way with her friends to the graveyard to bury her last known relative, her son. She was a widow, she'd lost a husband, and now this is her last relative. The text says that the scene... The story of this one woman left all alone in the world moved Jesus with compassion. I like how the Passion Translation says that when Jesus saw the mother in her grief, it broke his heart. He had a reaction. He had a, a deep, profound, moving reaction. We live in a broken-hearted time. We see sadness all the time, and we not only see the sadness, the crisis, the difficulty in our own village, but we have access to the heartbreak of people around the globe daily, hourly, moment by moment. Refugees that are attempting to, to escape persecution and famine and leaving everything that they have behind, trying to get across a border to safety. Families that are attempting to put their lives back together in, in Virginia Beach this week after a gunman shoots former co-workers to death. Or the picture of people standing stunned in the, the rubble of their world after a natural disaster has cut through their neighborhood and taken everything that they worked a lifetime to build and put together. When you're exposed to that much need, when you're exposed to that much heartbreak day after day after day, it can be overwhelming. It can, it can be tempting to head on into the safety and the anonymity of our world and turn on Netflix and turn off the news, turn off the heartbreak. But Jesus doesn't do that. 
and neither should we. He, he, he doesn't t- turn his hand, he doesn't head, he doesn't pretend that he doesn't see her or see her pain. He goes right to her. And, and he says these brave words, even though they seem like an odd thing to say at a funeral. He looks at her and he says these brave words to her, don't cry. And it wasn't more than just a man saying, I'm not comfortable when women cry. It, it, it was words of hope. Don't cry. The, the, and they're not spoken out of insensitivity, but they're spoken out of faith, out of the understanding is of, of who God is and what God can do. do. Dear woman, your tears will be unnecessary because God is going to do something great here. And he goes over to the coffin and he touches the coffin. He says, young man, I tell you, get up. I'm a secret person who goes to some funerals and just waits till there's a quietness in the line and goes up to the coffin and says, get up. One day it's going to happen. He he says, young man, get up. And the dead son sits up and begins talking and, and Jesus presents him to his mother. Compassion. Compassion, not just an emotion or a stray feeling, but a connection between people who are in need and a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask, think, or even dare to dream. There are many places in the gospel that mention the motivational ability of compassion that Jesus has. However, there's there's a a place in the scriptures that I've been camped on for probably two or three months. Some some days, this is the only verse that I read. And I just just get in there and I'm, I'm just saying, God, make this come alive in our house. Jesus is moving through the crowds, and he sees in Matthew chapter 9, if you have your Bibles, will you turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. He's moving through the crowds, and he sees and he understands more than what is just in front of him. He sees people, crowds of people, but it's not just the crowds he sees. He was at the dawn of creation, and he knows the original plan that was called for when God breathed breath into Adam. And, and he calls for the relationship with God. He, he, he understands that we were created to worship and to enjoy all that God is and all that God has. And he knows that that was the plan, but he walks around and he realizes that people are living way below the plan. That they're living way below their privilege. And, and, and so he, he's reported by Luke or by Matthew, and I want you to listen to this. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. When Jesus saw the vast crowds of people, his heart was deeply moved with compassion because they seemed weary and helpless like wandering sheep without a shepherd. And he turned to his disciples and he said, the harvest is huge and and ripe, but there are not enough harvesters to bring it all in. As you go, plead, plead with the owner of the harvest to thrust out many more reapers into his fields of grain. As he watched the people coming and going, 
People attending the demands and the requirements of their life. He sees not only their busyness, but but their heartbrokenness. He sees, he feels, he understands the weight of what they were carrying. And the the, the, the weight seems way too much for one person to carry. And and he's moved with compassion. He's he's brokenhearted. He's he's realizing how little they have in in comparison to how much they were supposed to have. And, And he turns from the crowd and he turns to his followers. In the passage, it's his disciples. and, And this morning, it's to you and to me. He turns to us today and he says, I want to make some observations. The need and the opportunity in this crowd is huge. It's huge. We come together Sunday by Sunday and we look at each other and we're clean and we're, we're, we're dressed to, a, to, a, to, to niceness and looking good and, and you know, all of that. And, and, and we've got smiles on. And that's great and that's part of who we are. But I understand that every Sunday as we come together, there are people who are carrying weights that are way too big for them. Worries and concerns. I'm always gratified. I'm, almost, I'm always thankful that you, you've showed up. You've turned up. Because I know that the option just to sit in the weight of all that you have would be, would be so tempting. But you've come. You've come here. He says they're, they're here and the needs are so great. In Nain, it was one widow burying her son, but in this city, it's everyone that he met. They weren't just numbers. They were people with names. They were people with stories. They were people with heartbreak. And they are people who can be helped. There's an answer, he says. There there is help. There's hope. Here's the problem. Jesus turns to his disciples then and he turns to us today and he says, here's the problem. We, we still have so many people with needs, so many people with heartbreak and, and difficult stories. Here's the problem. We don't have enough caregivers. We don't have enough miracle workers. We don't have enough people caring to get to them all. He, he uses this metaphor, this farming picture, a harvest that is big, it's promising, it's also ripe, and, and if it's not gathered almost immediately, then it will spoil, it will be useless, it will be wasted, it will have to be destroyed. And Jesus superimposes the picture over people, the, the farming picture over people, and he says, I hope that helps you to understand what I'm seeing here. There are so many people that can be helped, so many people that can be given hope, so many people that could have their lives repurposed and fulfilled, but because we lack people that care, people that are motivated with compassion, we might lose them. We don't have enough people who have compassion, enough compassion, that they don't stand on the sidelines and say, oh, that's a sad, that really is a sad story, isn't it? That story is so sad, it touches my emotions, it breaks my heart, but they, they don't move off the sidelines. Jesus says, we lack people who see need and say to themselves, this ought not to be. 
there's more. There's, there's got to be more. This ought not to be. And they wade into the need and they do something about it. He, he also points out to what his compassion sees. Moved with compassion because they were weary. They were helpless. They were alone and without ability. When he looks at the people, he doesn't just see a crowd. He, he sees the state of each heart. Sees their motivation. Sees with understanding why they're doing the things they're doing. And what they're doing. He, he doesn't condemn them for what they're doing. But understands the why of what they're doing. He says, first of all, there's, there's weariness here. Not just tired because sleep was not good last night because of the heat, but, but weariness, a persistent taxing of energy and emotion to the place where you can't believe that you can carry on, that there's nothing left in the tank, it, that, that the resources are gone and have been gone for quite a while, and yet you're expected to show up and keep moving forward. Have you ever been so tired that you can't remember where you came from or where you're going? Have you ever been so tired? I remember we had a, um, we had a youth all-nighter here when I was a youth pastor, and, and I'd, we'd had breakfast at one of the breakfast restaurants, and I'd driven a few kids home, and, and I was parked at the street, and the next thing I know, I sort of wake up and I'm just sort of creeping through this red stoplight, like at about four. And I, you know, I shook myself awake and looked around and then just kept going. And so tired that you don't even know what you're doing. He says, that's what's going on here. And, and, and not only weary, but, but helpless. So great is the need that they don't even know where to start. They don't have any answers. They don't have any connection. They have no support. They're, they're all alone. They don't know where to turn. I, I'm, I'm attending. I'm standing in the midst of, of a flood alone. And all I have is a little tiny toy bucket. And it's not going to bail me out of this. I, I, I don't know what to do. So often... My office has people sitting in it that don't go to church, but they don't know where else to go. They don't know who to turn to. And they just hope up, show up hoping that, that we can help. It's not only weariness, it's not only helplessness, but it's that that whole thing of being alone, being without the ability. Again, he uses an agricultural metaphor. He, he uses the picture of they're like sheep. Hey, have you ever worked with sheep? My, my grandfather kept a sheep in his backyard one time. And they're, they're nice to look at. But they really aren't the brightest of God's creatures. 
There, there was a picture uh, this week in one of the magazines that I was reading. It showed this, this sheep who had gotten lost and was carrying six years of wool on its back because he'd been lost for six years and couldn't do a thing about it. You know, didn't know to go to a, to, to a barber, didn't, didn't, didn't know anything and just carried this extra weight for, that kept growing for six years. And, and that's the picture that Jesus uses. He says, there's, he says listen, they're, they're like sheep. They're, they're, they're like sheep. They're, they're without a shepherd. They're without support. They're without someone who helps them where they need help. I, I think that it's really important that I point this out. There are so many divisive issues on the floor of our world right now. And we can get into a bit of a shouting match. We can choose which side we stand on. We, we, we can be the self-righteous people who say, oh, that, that, that's not right. That ought not to be. You're, 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 oh, you're a sinner. You're, you're going to go to hell for that one. Not particularly helpful. Or we can stand on the other side and we can yell at the people who are saying those things. Yell and scream and say, you're, you are not, you're not very bright. You don't have the brains God gave to a sheep. We, you can go that way. Neither one are very helpful. And that's not what Jesus does. Notice that Jesus doesn't stand on the sidelines and yell at the weary, the helpless, those who are alone and those without ability. He, he doesn't ask them how they got entangled. How, how could you be so dumb? He, 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 he doesn't say, boy, have you messed up. He doesn't, doesn't say, I have half mind to leave you where you are just to teach you a lesson. I don't know any situation that's helped by people yelling. I don't know any situation that's made better by people standing back and judging. I don't see that anything is accomplished, and I'm asking that we not yell as people of this house. Not yell in the streets, not yell at one another, and oh, this is, and not on social media. Just don't. That we don't tell people that they're going to hell or that say to people that are weary, helpless, alone, or stupid and idiotic. It, it's not helpful. It doesn't import, impart help, hope. And it's not Jesus. I come to you with the words of Jesus who said, God, God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger telling the world how bad it was. He came to help. And he came to put the world right again. 
John chapter 3, verse 17, the message. I'm asking that rather than yelling, we wade into the crowd. Verse 38 is an amazing statement that I've prayed will grip your heart as it's gripped mine. And that it would change us. Again, Jesus isn't just speaking to his 12 disciples this morning. He's speaking to you and to me. As you go, as you are a follower of Jesus, it's not an option. As a follower of Jesus, it's an imperative that you wade into the need and help. That so what Jesus did and does, you go to need with the power, with the compassion that was on him, so go you. So that means that we're not going to yell, we're going to wade into the need, and we're going to choose to believe some things that are true, that God has called us, that God lives in us, that everything that was available to Jesus is available to us, that as we pray, heaven listens, and because heaven doesn't limit, or it doesn't have any limitation in its power, things can happen. That's what we're talking about for Summer of Miracles. As you go. But as you participate, I want you to do something else. Jesus says, I want you to plead. I want you to beg. I want you to petition without growing weary. Don't give up. Don't walk away. Keep asking. Keep knocking. Keep going to the owner of the harvest and say, send more help. It's not, oh, Jesus, you should probably send somebody over there. It looks like they have a need. He says, as you go, start calling out loud, oh, God, send more help. There's so much opportunity, so much need here. Send more help. Ask the owner of the harvest. Who who do you suppose is the owner of the harvest? God. God is the owner of the harvest. The one that loves the world so much that he didn't spare anything, gave it all, even his one and only son, so that the world could be rescued. Plead with the owner of the harvest to send more caring people who are moved with compassion to the place where you are, up to your neck in need. That's a pretty, that, that's a pretty powerful picture. D- don't walk away... Don't attempt to forget what you've seen, wade in, empowered by the authority, the enablement of heaven, and do all that you can, and also call out, cry out constantly for more help. It gives a bit of the picture of God's heart, how he sees the stories around us. How he reacts, what he believes, what he desires, could, could be if only people would reach out to him, if only we would go into the crowd compassionate enough to go to the, to the need with the power of the life of God. We need to, to allow the Holy Spirit to transform the way that we think. We need him to transform the way that we see people. We need to understand that in God's view, there is no such thing as a hopeless story or a hopeless individual. There, that, that doesn't exist. 
Nothing is impossible with God. I can look at people with my eyes and, and I can see the hardness of their heart. I can see their arrogance, their, their pride. I can see years and years, maybe generations of abuse and neglect and difficulty. And I can think, can think to myself, this story isn't going to end well. But Jesus doesn't look at anybody that way. No one is beyond the reach of his grace and mercy. There are stories here this morning that you would not believe if I had them stand up. If you saw the before and the after picture, you would be shocked. You can't believe the transformation that's taken place. I want to challenge us this summer to think beyond ourselves. I don't mean to give up on self-care. I want you to look after yourselves. I want you to build yourselves up in the most holy faith. I, I, I want you to be sure that you're healthy mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I, I, I want all that. But, but I need, and, and, and I understand what that is. I need a miracle in several areas of my life right now. I need help. I need God's intervention. However, we get to the place where we, where we live at the mirror and we never get to the window. We always see what we need and we're not moved by compassion like Jesus was when he sees the crowds. I want you to challenge, I want to challenge us this summer to think beyond ourselves. I want, I want us to move from the mirror to the street and look at the mission in front of us. I, I'm convinced that if we commit ourselves to the, to the mission, if we, if we make the priority of the kingdom first, then all the issues in the mirror will be taken care of and will be looked after. Finally, if we could do this in our own ability, in our own power, I would just send you all to university to become doctors and nurses and social workers and counselors and expert caregivers. I, I thank God for, for all of those people and for all of those gifts of compassion that they have and invest in getting those skills to help and to serve need. However, you don't have to be in the field for very long before you recognize, before you understand that we need supernatural help. We need to have the ability to set captives free from their prisons. We need to have the ability to speak peace to tormented minds and healing to broken bodies. To bring light to the caverns where good people are being held by lies that have been dressed up to seem to them like truth. We need breakthrough miracles. Having declared this to be a summer of, of miracles, I've had a week that <laughs> has been really colorful and interesting. You don't just say, we're going to have a summer of miracles and then skip all, your, all the way to Labor Day. It was last Sunday morning, I stood on this platform and I said, we need a summer of miracles. And at 4 o'clock in the morning, I missed the first call, but I got the second call. Paul Spies, who's with us this morning, called and said, he has three children, and he said, Bill... David, my son's been murdered in Ontario. 
Welcome to the summer miracles. Jesus looks at Paul's speech this morning with great compassion. Jesus looks at Paul and his heart breaks. And then I went to several graduations and great celebrations and and there was a lot of joy and a lot of celebration, but there were also stories that, that just break your heart. Family members that pull you aside and say, Pastor Bill, I really need you to pray about this. Or, Pastor Bill, excuse our family. We're, we're the ones who put fun back in dysfunctional. That's one line I heard this week. One who's not speaking to another. One who's dying. One who's stuck in all sorts of problems. And so I just went from place to place to place and my heart was moved with compassion. Saying, I can't just stand here. I have to wade in. I have to pray. I have to, I have to release the love of God. I have to, and as I was moving in, I was calling out, God, send us more helpers. Send us more helpers.